And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And this is a personal treat of mine. Um, I have been so blessed to have friends that I have known a long time that we worked together. We, we had, we've, we've had meals together. We've spent personal times together. This is another one that is just a real treat for me personally. This guy is a leader extraordinaire. He will encourage leaders out there. Um, his, his email address is leadership fan. That's all you need to know to really dive into this guy. He's in Colorado now, but he's a Kentuckian at heart. And my dear friend, Joe Linhart, joins me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Joe, how are you doing today, bud? Doing well, Brian. Thanks for having me. It's a blessing to join you. Sorry it took so long. Yeah, we've been, we've been trying to get this thing nailed down for a while. You know, the, the, um, the, the first guest that I interviewed, I think, yeah, the first guest I interviewed was our mutual friend, Brian Willett. He was on episode three yeah. of the intentional, either three or four. You know, now you get into the 40s and 50s, they all kind of run together. But uh, our mutual friend, Brian Willett's been on. Our mutual friends, Dustin Hall and, and Joe Romzik have been on. So it was just natural to get you on as well, too, and, and have you come on and join the Intentional Encourager podcast. Joe, yeah. I, I got to start here, man. Leading in the midst of COVID-19, you have been a, a leader for a long, long time, but everything seems to be different. Everything in, in this, we've been told everything is different. This is unprecedented, unusual. The words that have been used Take me through your experience of leading people through COVID-19. Yeah. Well, it's a strange time, isn't it? And again, thanks for having me. I, uh, by the way, I talked to Mr. Willett this morning on the way to work. Uh, so those relationships that we formed all those years ago, that team was pretty solid, wasn't it? And uh, so I'm thankful for those times and don't forget those people at all. Yeah. But, you know, fast forward, I've ran some really large teams in my day. Yours back in the day was one of them, but I've had much larger since. And, now I'm at a school where my staff is much smaller, you know, and so I was kind of thankful for that, Brian, because I didn't have to try to keep up with 300 people and, and, and try to deal with all the challenges that come with that. But even with a smaller crew, boy, it's been different. And there was a time where we had to send them home, right? And they all worked from home and, and you've got to continue to produce and keep the lights on, right? And um, I think that where I was fortunate was that I went into this thing with great relationships, right? I had already started working hard on the culture long before COVID struck us. And so I had trust. And I think that's really the word that so often I use in leadership that can carry you through a lot of stuff. You know, sometimes you have storms when there is no pandemic, right? And uh, as you know, the Bible tells us that's going to happen. And so this is a storm that's lasted a little longer than I would like. Yeah. But uh, I asked for people's trust and I continued to double down on the time that I spent with them through the worst of this thing. And to be honest with you, I've just continued in that along the way. And I've tried not to instill fear, but confidence um, that everything's going to be okay. And it has been. We've been really blessed here. We've had no cases of COVID. Um, and so we've experienced some success through this. And when you have success and momentum happening, uh, which is unbelievable, right? We've had yeah. enrollment records during this pandemic, um, which really crazy, huh? Um, that builds confidence and that builds a lot. Winning's fun, 
and that builds a lot, uh, I think, a lot more happiness within your staff. So, and and to to give a give some context to the listeners about what Joe's talking about, Joe is in the higher education space. He's in the the for profit higher education space. It's it's a space that I know well. Obviously, it's where Joe and I first met, and so again, everything is different. Even, and I'll say this, Joe. You know, public education, at least in my state, the state of West Virginia, they've never faced anything like this. It's it's always been West Virginia University and Marshall, and they have dominated and done whatever they've wanted to do. Now they're actually having to overcompete in the marketplace, not just compete, but overly compete. Because again, students, if if you're going to deliver product, if you're going to deliver your educational product online, now you're competing with everybody. Because they've never had to compete from a mainline product standpoint in an online world. They've always, you know, they've always driven students to campus, driven them to campus. Well, now they have to compete virtually. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's different. What were some of the things that when COVID-19 started, what were some of the things that you instilled in your team to keep that same level of consistency and, to, and continue to deliver the value that you guys had always delivered? Yeah. Well, right away, we had to start working from a virtual perspective, which you may remember we did back in the day. You know, that wasn't new to us when we started doing virtual interviews and the rest. And so you kind of have to I hated those back. virtual interviews. <laughs> I hated those, man. I Because, I well, Joe, here's the thing. And I didn't mean to interrupt your train of thought, but, but you know, again, when, when we were together at Sullivan, the university that you and I were together at for a few years, we were very much interacting face-to-face, relationship building, shoulder-to-shoulder with those families and those students. And that's what I loved about the model that we had was I wasn't just going to be a face on a computer screen. I was going to be somebody that came to your home. I was going to be someone that sat down in your atmosphere in the place you were most comfortable and, and walked you through hand-in-hand the educational process. Now you, you're talking about, okay, we're, we're pivoting to a virtual model. When, let, me, let me back up and ask the question this way because I think it, it fits. How did you have to coach your team differently to think about, okay, guys, we're going to be working from home. You're going to be talking to that student instead of them sitting four feet away from you in your cubicle or in an office setting you're going to have to be that relational and that authentic and that engaging virtually. How difficult was it to lead those folks into that particular model when they had not, when some of them had not done that before, Joe? Yeah, and it's always challenging. And I think, you know, we had, I can think of one individual who really struggled with technology, right? And so there's that. Uh, where normally this person was really strong relationally in person on campus and you don't have that. And so I was able to harken back to my past and say, well, I know how to do this. And so we quickly pivoted and created a virtual environment, uh, a virtual tour, I guess I should say, um, and created the exact same processes and interview process that we would have in person so that we didn't change too much about their environment and their processes they're used to using, right? So you're right. It did come down to trying to engage with that student or that customer and trying to... um, build that same level of rapport virtually as you would on campus. And it's so challenging. Um, But the processes I tried to leave alone, 
make it comfortable, right? And then I just hope really focused in on the building of the rapport and asking the right questions and spending the time active listening with that with that student. And you know, when unemployment goes to twenty percent, which it did for a brief time, right? Yeah. What happens in our world is that creates opportunity or demand. And, and you're right about the Marshall universities and those schools that are now trying to compete with all of us who frankly know how to do this pretty well, right? And so yeah. when that happens, um, somebody's at my window right now. Um, when that happens. Um, Tell them you're in the middle of a podcast recording. Yeah, I'm in a podcast. <laughs> um, you know, when that happens, we have a distinct advantage. And so we started to see momentum swing and uh, our numbers imp improve. Uh, but what's, what's challenging is a lot of these schools, it's still the programming is built to be hands-on. No matter how yeah. you do it online or virtual, you got to get back to campus, which we've been able to do on kind of a, a part-time basis like most schools, right? Yep. But just to kind of go back to where you started, I, I have to tell you that it's really about building that rapport. You and I are doing it right now. This is not much different than you and I would be if we sat down at a Qdoba or a Starbucks or something yep. like we did back in the day, right? Yep. It feels very comfortable to me, you know? And so we just had to really focus on that in summer better than others at it. But by and large, I think I was able to stay calm because I've been there before. We did this at the university you were at in 2006, we built our first virtual environment, right? And so it's nice to have had some experience to go back and pull from. I want to park there for just a minute, Joe, because again, I think so many people forget the fact the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Right. Even though we think that the pandemic is a new thing, and we think, oh my gosh. And then we've come to find out, well, 100 years ago, they had the Spanish flu. Yeah. And, and so, you know, there's really nothing new under the sun. The Bible is absolutely, as we know it is, 100% correct. And so when you think about the experience that you had so many years ago, was it easy for you to go, okay, we're going to pivot? Or did it take you a minute to go, let me sit down and think about this? Let me, let me remember back, kind of, kind of file those mental files away, come back to those things. Because for some, Joe, even though they may have been through this before, sometimes it's natural human reaction to hit the panic button first and then go back and go, okay, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've been through this before. For you, was it, was it just take a minute and take a deep breath and go, okay, I've done this before. We can do this. Or, or how was it for you the, the, the first couple of days after you knew this was the way it was going to go for the, for the immediate future? It was like a Chinese fire drill for the first couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and you're trying to organize people in a, in a quick manner to keep your business going. But I have to tell you, there was no panic on my part because, A, I'd done it before. Number two, I had not only done it, but I'd done it at a high level. Because what you may not know, Brian, is, um, you know, before I came to work at the school that I'm at today, I spent five years at a high level institution, uh, all online programming. And so that, yeah. every single day, high level of enrollment goals. Um, I mean, we would enroll at that school, you know, over 1,200 students a month, if you can even get your brain around that. Yeah. Okay. But you never saw a single one of them in person, right? 
And so I had been so used to that world that there was no panic for me to enroll students on the phone because that's what I'd been doing for so many years. And so I was just blessed that way. It really wasn't a big deal. It was harder to get some of the trepidation out of the staff here that had never seen anything like that, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and Joe, here's the thing, and I, I love behind the folks that are going to see the video, see some sayings behind Joe's wall. It doesn't surprise me a bit. He's got motivational sayings on the wall and stuff like that. The one behind your right shoulder is what I want to, to pivot to. It says, good things come to those who wait, but the best things come to those who do. And, and, and we've, we've all had to have patience through this, this pandemic. But really, the people that have continued to excel just continue to do what they do. And, it, and, and so let me, let me pivot here for just a second. I want you to talk to folks out there running their own business or maybe leading a sales team or leading a team of people, how important is continuing to adapt and be nimble and flexible in running a sales team? I think it's critical. I've always had that saying in the admissions world that if you can't be flexible here, you won't make it here, right? Mm -hmm. Because change is inevitable, right? And as I said earlier, problems and challenges are going to come, but we try to turn those into opportunities, don't we? And uh, yep. so being flexible and being patient, and I think there's a word I, I've been using a lot in recent months, the word empathetic, right? Mm -hmm. To understand every person's situation right now is sensitive and different. And I have to understand as someone who maybe I'm living through faith and not fear through this whole thing. And maybe I have certain viewpoints on all of this that we're living through in our world today. Um, that doesn't mean that the next guy agrees with me or that the customer in front of me isn't going through a whole lot of challenging stuff that I can't understand. And so I think empathy has been a word that as a leader, I've been trying to practice along with that active listening in the world that we're um, navigating through right now. And, you know, Joe, here's the thing. And, and I, I've said this for the last probably 10 months or so. When, when people are going through things, the last thing they want to hear is expertise. There's so much expertise out there and, and guys that are business coaches that are friends of mine that are coaches and, and things like that. When you're going through something rough and you're going through something you don't understand, you need empathy. You need encouragement. You need to know that we're going to get there and it's going to be okay. When you think about leading teams in your past, how important has encouragement been to you with the leaders that you have? You've led leaders. You, you've led and coached leaders and you've led and coached teammates. How important is encouragement to you with those oh. folks? I'm so glad you asked me that because um, if I were to give you a top five sort of traits of a great leader, that would probably land in my top five, right? And it's it's probably one of my strengths. Well, you know? shouldn't it land in everybody's top five, Joe? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's the fuel, right? And there have been leaders that have given me that fuel personally, and frankly, there are some that have not. And when I am not fueled with that encouragement, even though I, I'm always, I've been in leadership, this is 
my 31st year. I'd literally been in leadership, Ryan, since I was 18 years old. And at some point, every single one of those years, I was leading somebody. What a blessing, right? Because I think that it's a privilege to lead people. I believe it's an honor to do that. And part of your responsibility is to encourage those people, especially when things are hard in their life right now. And um, I, I did a post on LinkedIn this week. You may have seen it. I don't know. Uh, where I talked about, I learned a rule um, when I was 18 years old from a leader who mentored me as a young man. And oh, was I a mess at 18? But I still was in charge of people at 18 working in the restaurant business. And he taught me the most simple, basic thing. You don't need a master's degree to know this, Brian. Okay, <laughs> wait, wait, wait for it. You thank your people every single. You thank your people every single day. Yeah. Every time they leave the building, you thank them for what they do. It's a simple thing, but how many leaders really do it? And I'm passionate about it because I genuinely care for what they are bringing to the table, and I care about their lives. Yeah. And you you can't manufacture that, Brian. You can't fake your way through that. No, you, know? you can't. And Joe, here's the thing. And I'll take the folks back to a, an earlier podcast that I did with our mutual friend, Dustin Hall. And Dustin's a great people first leader himself. He He's tremendous. I remember the first time that I walked into the old Holiday Inn in Louisville, Kentucky, which is now Residence Hall for the university that you and I worked for. And I met these people. And the first time that I walked through the door and I saw them, I was embraced with kindness and caring and man we're, we're glad to meet you what yeah. can we do to help you and it wasn't it wasn't that they were trying to be nice every one of them looked me in the eye and said what can we do to help you what can and and i still we we all still keep in touch to this day and and it's because of the way that we decided to care for each other um, we, we, you know, and, and we've, and we've had the highest of highs, we've had the lowest of lows, we've lost people close to us and we still rally around each other. And that, that's, be, that's because culture and great culture, people come into that culture and they adapt to the culture that's there, not the culture adapting to them. And to your point, Joe, it's, it, it's, it's setting those expectations of this is what we expect. These are the people that we're going to bring in. And, and I saw it, Joe, when we were there together. I saw people come in and just as quickly they left because they weren't people that fit into those, to that culture. Let me ask you this before we pivot away and I, you get into your story. How hard is it to create great culture? And how hard is it to sustain great culture? L let me start with kind of, I'm not a politician. Did, I, I, make, did I make you think a little bit? I, I, well, I saw that well, look in your eyes. I thought, I've seen that look before. I recognize I, I, that look. I got to check myself because I can, I can talk too much sometimes. That's what I guess salespeople do, right, Brian? But, but going back to your comments, it, it really is relative, okay? I'm not a braggadocious guy at all. So that's not what I'm doing here. But the team you're referencing, I built. And your boss just happened to be my right-hand man, right? And he built it with me. Mm -hmm. And then I had someone on the left arm. 
uh, a gal named Teresa, who helped me to build that team all the way from the ground up. And I was, you got to understand something. I, I had never done that before. And so we're going 100 miles an hour with expectations up here. And, but I had enough natural, I guess, instincts to know this. You better choose your people well. And so we spent a ton of time choosing the Brian Sextons, right? Choosing the JRs, choosing the Dustins, the Lauras. The, you know, we chose these people strategically. And by the grace of God, we chose really well most of the time. And then what we did was we baked in core values. You may remember that. Yep. That we tried to live by. Maybe there were too many. I think there were 10. But these were the 10 commandments, if you will, that we tried to live by within our culture as we learned to build a culture, right? But here's yep. what I've kind of realized and written about since. Culture is not built by the leader. To me, culture is built from the inside out. You guys are the ones that are ultimately going to create what the culture is. It can't be because I put my thumb down on it and say, this is what it's going to be. I'm Moses. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. Right. And so to me, I can feed that culture. Right. With a lot of techniques, leadership traits, resources, activities, whatever it is. But ultimately, it comes from the people. Right. And we just had dynamic people. And I've had many teams like this that fed that healthy people first yeah. culture. Yeah. And Joe, I'm going to I'm going to throw a name out there to you. And, and when I think of this name. I get a warm feeling in my heart, Ken Bird. Yeah, sure. I get sure. I get such a what a warm, genuine, people yeah. first man that yeah. we were so blessed to be around. I remember the first time that you and I sat down to lunch together. It was my first day there. Mm. We came to Louisville, Kentucky. We went to the to this really cool restaurant. And we all there was about 10 or 12 of us at the table. And we all just sat together and talked. And I sat next to Ken. I got placed next to Ken. And I'll never forget it. It was one of the most enlightening, warm conversations I'd ever been around. And so I'll, I'll tell this part. I don't think I've ever told you this. When, when I joined that team, I was also uh, talking to a, a gentleman who was, who was looking for a district manager for, a, for Wendy's in this area that I'm in. Mm -hmm. It was more money, had a company car and everything else. And I told him, I said, I was in Louisville. I stepped aside. My phone rang. I stepped away, took the call. And I said, I've made a decision to come here. And I said, there's an opportunity with an educational component. And he told me, he said, I'm disappointed, but I think you made the right decision. Yeah. Yeah. And he was an older gentleman. He was probably in his, his early 70s. And I'll, I go back to the table, and I'm continuing to talk to Ken and the other people at the table, and I go, yeah, I think I did make the right decision. I think I really did make the right decision for me and for my family. And so to that point, Joe, it was all about us being what – yeah, we went 100 miles an hour. Yeah, we went – I was going nonstop, you know getting home at midnight or one o'clock in the morning from interviewing three kids two hours away. Yeah. But, but again, it was so much fun because the culture was there and you knew that the people working alongside you were working just as hard as you were working. Yeah. 
and we were all there helping each other. I've never been, I say it to this day, I've never been around a culture like that. I've never been around a group of people that just came together that quickly. Like, and I've got a great team where I am now. I'm not saying anything disparaging. Me too. But the, the culture that we, that, that we all had together. And, and Joe, here's the thing that I admire about you. And, and, and I would encourage leaders to be this way. Even though I had a direct boss in Brian, it wasn't like Joe wasn't approachable. Right, right. It wasn't like Joe wasn't approachable or Teresa wasn't approachable. That was the beautiful thing that there were layers that existed, but they weren't layers that couldn't be punctured. They weren't layers that couldn't be, you know, it was like, no, you, you go take that to your boss. No, it was like, if there's a concern and you and I were talking, you'd be like, hey, you know, let's, let's take a look at that. Yeah. And I love that. And as a leader, you've got to be flexible enough to sometimes remove those barriers from yeah. people and get them to, to, to buy. I, yeah. I just happened to think about that, Joe, as, as we were kind of going down, forgive us, we're going down memory lane here. Just a couple of old friends just going down memory lane. So again, let's go here to memory lane. That's my podcast. I can do what I want to. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hey, Joe, take me back as far back as you want to take me and the listeners and tell your story. You kind of referenced it a minute ago, working at a KFC at 18 years old, which, by the way, is like working for the queen in Kentucky. Kentucky, you know, KFC is kind of like royalty in, in the state of Kentucky. But yeah. take me back as far back as you want to go and just tell tell the folks your story. Yeah, I will. And I appreciate you asking me. I, I do want to make reference to Ken Burb that you mentioned. Uh, you know, Ken's no longer with us, uh, but there was a great leadership lesson in Ken Burb because I talk all the time about when you hire people, you hire, uh, you don't hire robots, do you? No. Right? You know, you, you realize everyone's not the same. And so I hire for diversity and I'm not talking about skin color. I'm not talking about age necessarily. I'm talking about um, experience, abilities, sense of humor, all these things. I like to have a, a variety of different kinds of people with us. Well, there's a reason I bring this up. Ken Bird was 75 years old at the time. You got a bunch of people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s that we built this team. And here I was uh, in, in my late 30s at the time. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to depend on a 75-year-old guy who was bent over, used a cane. That feels a little different to me. I'm going to tell you something. That guy became the best decision that we probably made when we built that team. He gave us wisdom. He gave us encouragement as leaders, right? He gave us experience we would have never had from any new hire I brought in there. And I will tell you, that when he died, he told Brian and I both, we were the best friends he had. Now, when that happens, it brings tears to your eyes, but it has taught me a lesson. Don't ever discriminate, you yeah. know? You choose the right soul, the right person for your team, right? But as for me, as far as teams go, well, I let me Let me say this too. Yeah. Let, me, let me say this too. What I loved about Ken was, is Ken could make, so Ken had the unique ability 
to make other people feel better about themselves after leaving an interaction with him. Yeah. And you mentioned that Ken, Ken had some physical problems, yeah. but he was able to make you feel better mm-hmm. leaving him. He was just, I've, I don't think I, I, I probably have never met five people in my life like him. Yeah. And, and I'm so glad that you mentioned that because again, he, when I hear that name or I think about him, it invokes, and by the way, the, the, the company that we came from still has an award in his honor. Yeah, yeah. And it's the highest award that you can earn in a position like that. That's how much respect that people still have for the memory of Ken Bird. And, and I, I want to remember him today with Joe as well. Joe, I, I, I thank you for letting me kind of riff there on, yes. on a great man. Yeah, we uh, had lunch with him every day, and I spoke at his funeral. Uh, perspective on that. that, I perspective on that. I haven't spoken at my own family funerals. Okay, and so um, I appreciate him very much. There's not enough mentors that come along in our lives, and um, when you have that happen, uh, I think it's important to re- to take note of it and appreciate what you have. Um, yeah. I call them hall of famers. When I get people that have believed in me in my life and have mentored me. I put them in my little imaginary hall of fame and there's only five or six of them in there. And it's because I appreciate them immensely. When I was 18 years old, you asked for my story. Um, I I was a bit of, as they say, uh, as the young people say, a hot mess and coming out of high school. And, uh, but I guess my dad instilled something in me when we were growing up because I did have a work ethic. And uh, if you've ever worked in the restaurant business, especially the fast food world, you're going to work. Mm-hmm. And um, I was a cook at KFC. And uh, uh, to make a long story short as I can, I started this mentality that I still have today that I wanted to climb the ladder, you know? And so I wanted to work up front. So I did. And then um, I wanted to date this little girl who had big blue eyes and red hair. And I uh, just couldn't take my eyes off of her. And um, I was fortunate enough after about four months of chasing her around to be able to date her. And 30 years later, I'm still married to her. So how Mm -hmm. about that? And there's a reason I'm telling this story this way. Um, And so then I decided I wanted to be an assistant manager and luckily I was, and uh, it wasn't too, a couple of years later, uh, I was promoted to my own store and uh, I got to run a store, a low volume store. And um, you know, Uh, I worked 80 hours a week and started a family in that store. And um, I started to learn all of the hard lessons about life in that place, the blood, sweat, and the tears, how to treat people, how to be respectful, um, how to, how to make a buck when it's really hard to squeeze a buck out of your revenue. Um, But I learned there how to build teams and how to start to be passionate about developing people and what I really wanted to do then, and I still do today, Brian, and this is the God's honest truth. I, uh, I love to see people start at a basic level and be able to grow into the goals they wanted. So if somebody came to me and said, okay, I want to work up front. I want to be an assistant manager. I want to be a store manager. It was a turn on to me to make that happen and watch their life change. Mm-hmm. You know, and so... Um, that's where my passion for leadership began, even though I didn't know a thing, Brian, I knew how to build relationships. I knew how to thank people because I had someone teach me that. Right. Yeah. Um, I knew how to 
uh, create momentum and success because I'm competitive. Um, but something happened while I was there that's important to my life story. Not only did I find the love of my life and started a family, that's wonderful, but I also, after five years, uh, was robbed um, one night, and uh, it was pretty brutal, and I, I took a bit of a beating, and this guy locked my staff in a closet, and, um, you know, it, as he finished up his job that night, he uh, told me to walk to the office with a gun to my back and said, you make one false move, I'm going to drop you and kill you. And um, so I got in the office safely, thank God. And um, you might think that's the end of the story, but it's not. Um, unfortunately, the same guy went to the Taco Bell down the street, did the same thing, but he shot that guy. Mm. That guy lived um, and thank God they ultimately caught the guy and put him in prison for the rest of his life because he was a habitual criminal, right? Why do I tell you that story? tell you that story because Brian I believe it was um, a God thing and yeah. I know that sounds terrible because God doesn't make mistakes does he he doesn't do that never kind of makes thing. a mistake but you know it changed my life I I tell you it's as though that career which I was successful in somebody took a needle and popped that balloon and I had no passion for it anymore I, I didn't want anything to do with it anymore which left me in a lurch because I didn't know what I was going to do. Tell me something. Tell me something real quick. I've got, I've got to ask you. Yeah, yeah. The guy comes in and you know, the situation is not good. Take me through the thought process. Cause it, it, I mean, those yeah. robberies aren't long drawn out things. No, it's quick. The guy's there for one purpose. It feels like it's 10 hours. Yeah. It may only be 10 minutes. Yep. And they're they're in and out. As you're walking down the hallway to the, to your office with the gun in your back, what are you thinking about? Well, first of all, he crams it in my head. Um, he hit hit me multiple times along the way. And um, when I got to the safe, I got it open on the first try, Brian, which I never could do. I'm not that yeah. smart. But um, I got it open on the first time, and I'll tell you the answer to your question, and I do believe it, God was with me at that time, even though I was walking in life at that time, not saved, okay? Mm -hmm. This was before we got saved in the church together, but I will tell you that um, I've had a calm over me. I can't tell you. I went to every register, opened it, gave him the money, never panicked, and by the way, I had panic buttons under every one of our buttons to call the police. I never touched them. I just was kind to the man. I gave him everything he wanted. Didn't give him an attitude, even though I got hit by the guy and threatened by the guy and everything else. You tell me why I wasn't a mess. I don't know other than to say God protected me through that. Wow. Because again, that, even though you're a young man and you and I are the same age, yeah, that would be something that, and it has, I mean, people, you know, it's almost like going through something traumatic. You live with PTSD to some degree for the rest of your life. And you're telling this story calmly and things like that. Tell me something. Yeah. What would, what would late forties Joe have said to, to young twenties Joe the day after that happened? What would you, what would you have gone back and told yourself if you could? Wow. That's kind of deep, man. Um, See, I can I can do this every once yeah. in a while. Well, I I learned to ask good questions doing yeah. it, doing yeah. 180 in home interviews a year. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> well, I try try to I try to think about exactly what it is I want to say to you because I don't want to just give you some answer that sounds good, but I think the wisdom that I have today is exactly the reason I'm telling the story is I would explain to then. 21 year old Joe, I guess I was something like that. Cause you were about uh, the age. One, one of your boys is, is now, right? Yeah. I've got a 28 year old and a 22 year old. Yeah. And I, I will tell you, I would probably say, stay the course young man, you know, keep the faith because um, God has a plan for your life. So trust it. Right. You see what I did after that point, as I was walking to the office with my arms held out, I tell you the truth. I remember my son was just a little infant baby, the 28 year old. He was just a baby and I could see him in my head as I'm walking to the office. I could see my young bride, I, you know, and um, all I wanted to do was get through this. And when I did, and, and remember the balloon is gone. I don't want no part of it, made a decision. Don't know why I wasn't, I wasn't a faithful man at the time. But I, uh, I told my wife that we needed to move back to Kentucky. We were in Colorado. That's where she's from. Mm -hmm. And I said, we need to move back to Kentucky and raise our kids in a small, a small town where this stuff doesn't happen, which, of course, it does. But that yeah. was my mentality then. And we moved to a really small town in central Kentucky outside of Lexington. And we raised our kids there. And my life started to change. And it started to grow but the seed was planted at that KFC. I learned everything I needed to know about leadership and work ethic in that environment, right? And yep. so as, as we fast forward the story, so we don't take too long and your listeners don't wanna to be too bored, um, I started to kick around trying to find my way and, and trying to finish school. And you know, I ended up doing retail management where I led people in retail stores. I got in sales management. I sold chocolate in schools. Um, over the road for a number of years. And, and, and I got my big break um, around 1996. And a guy at a, a small school called Spencerian College um, recruited me uh, to um, work in admissions. Um, and I got to go speak at schools. And I also would, would then enroll those students from those leads. And it started a career that I'm still into this day. I guess that's what, 25th year now, uh, that I'm still into this day. Um, I so had to leave it and go sell starters with my dad. So, you know, go <laughs> <laughs> We all have a path, brother. We all have a path. Yeah. Along the way, the biggest change in the school business for me, I've done everything in the school business you can do. Um, I, you know, I've been a vice president for a number of years, a campus president. Um, all that doesn't matter. Titles don't matter. It's the impact that you're having that matters to me. Um, the biggest impact on my life happened um, 18 years ago, Brian. And that's when um, I was feeling just really pulled and led to the Lord. And my wife and I were, again, this is part of the story of him leading us back to Kentucky through all the career changes, education, whatever. We got baptized in the same tank on the same day 18 years ago and i tell you this brian i had a young lady i'm mentoring in front of me yesterday our marriage and our lives and our careers has just been like this ever since we we changed our lives and made that commitment to jesus and it's not a magic potion faith we know that 
mm-hmm. but it's part of my story. It changed the man that I was into the man that I am today. This is the only man you've known, right? Mm-hmm. The old Joe had plenty of problems and sins and mistakes and, and baggage. Hey, so did the old Brian. So did the old Brian. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I've been really blessed along the way to have some opportunities in climbing that ladder I talked about. And there are certain, certain Hall of Famers um, that we won't name here. Those Hall of Famers um, gave me chances to build teams. And along the way, the people that have been on those teams, people like you, people like you've mentioned, and many, many others have changed my life. It, it, it's been about the fulfillment that leadership has brought me because I'm not that smart. I'm just a regular guy. I try hard, right? And I have decent principles and beliefs about me and maybe a few skills, but I've had people around me that have really propped me up along the way. And it's fulfilled my life, Brian, like I can't tell you to a point where I'm obsessed with some of them I keep up with way, way more than they keep up with me, right? Because I appreciate them so much, I will never forget what they've done for me to get me to this point. You know what I mean? Yep, I know exactly what you mean. And, and, and again, you can't help but, but keep up with people that you know no matter how long it's been, they're always glad to hear from you. They're always glad to see you. They're always glad to, to you know, and, and you go out of your way to see them. We, you were talking about a guy we called JR, Joe Romzik. He's been on this podcast. Yeah. I was in Detroit for a meeting, and I said, hey, I'm getting in. And, and we, may, we only had a couple hours to get together but he made it happen to come and see me to navigate through Detroit rush hour traffic so we could hang out for a couple of hours and then navigate through rush hour traffic to get home to his family. But it was important to both of us to get together oh, yeah. and to see each other. And, and so that, yeah, Joe, that's, that's the thing that always just sticks out. I want to ask you a couple more questions in, yeah, the, in the time we have left. Take me through, other than, than that situation, was there another obstacle that you overcame in your life and a lesson that you learned from it that, that still resonates with you today? I think so. I think it's more personal than, than professional, if that's okay. That's, um, again, lady, I, it's, the, my, it's my podcast. We'll do whatever we want. Yeah, you, you, I, I don't script you know, these things. I, I just don't. I, I, I purposefully don't script these conversations because that's what I want. I want people to just be transparent and real. So yeah, yeah. do whatever you want. Um, I was mentoring this young lady yesterday about her marriage. You know, it's nice when you have rapport in a business, and I do work for an employer that allows me to do that, and I'm thankful for it. And um, one of the impacts to to my life and my wife's life is coming from difficult childhoods where you have, you know, broken marriages, um, abusive households. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't have so much an abusive household, but my story is the short of it is, you know, my parents should have never been married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice, good human beings, but never should have been married and um, ended up in divorce when I was about eight years old. Well, at the time, my mother makes the decision um, to move away, just left, to, to go to another state 1,200 miles away. 
and um man that had more of an effect on me than i realized and as i got older i realized it more and more and more but you know just like the situation in the robbery that i was lucky enough to survive um i believe it is the reason i have such a strong marriage today right i believe it's why we're so strong in our faith because that wasn't there growing up right uh, my dad was awesome and raised me and you know and my mother's a good human being but the reality is um that was a big void in my life that kind of jacked up my childhood you know and so can you see how that would fuel melody and i she came from a similar background yeah to really go all in with our family to go all in with our marriage and i promise you Brian, my marriage just keeps getting better year over year over year, which is an amazing gift for me, considering where we both came from, you know? Yeah. And, and, and you know, God bless Melody to be married to you for 30 years. Is, <laughs> God bless her, man. <laughs> God, God has a sense of humor, Brian. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, I'm telling <laughs> you, Hey, in the last couple of minutes we've got here and, yeah. and, and it's been so much fun reminiscing with you and talking about, yeah. The, the good times and, and you, you being so transparent and sharing your story. Uh, I, I didn't know about the robber. I, I think I, I think I may have heard it years ago, but I've forgotten about it. Yeah. And I appreciate you talking about it so candidly and openly. Sure. So leave the audience today with your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. Of intentional encouragement. Um, That's the name of the podcast, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got we can joke and, and laugh about that because of, of our longtime friendship. But yeah, you know, I, I just think for me, and, and you mentioned the word earlier, and um, I guess when you, when you feel at all um, stumped on a question, you fall back on what you know. And this is something you've heard me talk about a lot in life. Um, as a leader, um, I believe that you have to be an influencer and an encourager. And, and so I, I live by this kind of credo that is faith-based, but I brought it to the business world. And that is this mentality, this rippling mentality that says, um, I wanna be that leader that um, like I'm throwing a rock into a lake and I'm making ripples, I want to be intentional in all that I do every day in different departments with different people to make a difference right and that they will then take that and that they will share that with somebody else that's the rippling mentality that i try to live by and everyone who's worked with me for the last 18 years since i've been saved will understand that that is something i challenge people with i say look get out of the cube Make ripples across our company. Let accounting know you exist. Create solutions that is gonna motivate people in human resources, in other departments in this company, right? Care about somebody on their birthday, on their anniversary, ripple into their lives. It's the same thing we do in Christianity, right? Yep. Is that we're trying to ripple into the lives of other people so that they'll continue to do that just as Jesus did, right? And so for me, it's a personal thing. It all sounds good, but Brian, you know as well as I do, I've lived by this for many years 
And so my encouragement to you is to try to lead with that mentality if you can. This should never be about title, ego, entitlement, money. It should always be about people. And my, my firm belief is this. If you focus on the people and you focus on changing their lives and rippling across the company and into their lives, you will have more fulfillment than you could ever get from money, from stuff, from anything else, right? And that's just, that's just a small uh, anecdote I would share with you that's part of my leadership philosophy, and that's really a people-first philosophy. Man, what a great way to, to end our conversation, Joe Linhart. And, um, man, I can't thank you enough for carving out the time to do this. It was, this was fun. Tell people where they can connect with you and, and uh, you know, if they want to reach out, I would strongly encourage you to reach out to Joe and, and get some of his content, you know, yeah. spend some time if, if he, you know, he can talk with him. I have his cell phone number. I'm not giving it to you. You'd have to get that on your own. But, uh, but you know, let people know where they can reach out to you, Joe. Yeah, thanks. I really am passionate about this. Um, I don't have anything too, too as fancy as you do with a podcast, but uh, certainly I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, look me up there. That's Joe Lenhart, L-E-O-N-H-A-R-D-T. Um, I'm very active there. I've got about 9,000 people I've networked with over the last, oh, I guess, 15 years. Uh, certainly, you can email me at leadershipfan at gmail.com. I'm happy to network with you, encourage you, pray with you, um, whatever I can do to lend any kind of advice along the way. I will tell you, I'm very passionate about leadership, but I'm, I'm passionate not about um, the kind of leadership that is just all about um, P&L statements and data and titles. Uh, I, I'm about the impact, the yeah. real impact that we make on people's lives, whether that be our staff or our uh, customers, frankly. So, so yeah, feel free to reach out to me. I've enjoyed this so much, Brian. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, certainly, us admissions guys like to talk a lot. We like to be heard, don't we? Um, yep. So I'm really proud of you, man. You're a great man and a good influence on all of us. I do watch you, believe it or not. And I'm so impressed that you're doing interviews with Phil Robertson and guys that I watch. It's awesome. Well, you know, again, the blind squirrel theory is in full effect, Joe. So, I mean, it's, you know, it is what it is, man. I appreciate your time today. Thank you for joining us on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Anytime, Brian. You're most welcome.